I think that the days of building long-term procurement organizations is coming to an end. I really do. I don't think that you as a chief procurement officer are going to be able to keep up on what is required of you on a long-term basis. And I think that the days of build versus buy are upon us. Welcome to The Wrap, Resourceive as a Podcast. I'm Nick Cressy, Managing Director of Strategic Partnerships, joined by our President, Kyle Hall. This podcast will feature conversations with guests ranging from industry thought leaders to private equity operators and technology innovators, all with an aligned focus on delivering business outcomes. Whether you're an operating partner at a private equity firm, a CIO, or other business leader, tune in weekly as we share insights from the expanding playing field of digital transformation. Today, we're joined by Michael Caggio, founder of the Procurement Foundry. Got a long history in procurement, dropped some knowledge on us. I think this may be our most, maybe, maybe Nick, the word is raucous episode yet, but it, it's pretty good. Enjoyed the conversation a lot. Enjoy what he's, what he's bringing to the table and hope you do as well. Welcome to the rat, Michael Caggio, founder of Procurement Foundry, the world's premier sourcing industry community. Going on, Michael. Hey, how are you guys doing, man? Hey, we're doing good. I think this is going to be a fun episode talking procurement. Great. You know, first things first, tell us about yourself. And then I want to dig into the procurement foundry because we found you guys earlier this year, one of the Forge events, and just thought it was fantastic. So start with you and then let's get into the PF. Yeah, sure. So my background is I'm a former chief procurement officer. Before that, I spent a whole bunch of time on the waterfront, about 13, 14 years here in New England. Did everything in the seafood industry that there was to do with import-export. I was actually an offshore fisherman during college. And then and then I got into procurement. I went to work for a State Street Bank, and somebody went over to a small little advertising agency called Digitest and said, hey, come over here and help us start, and start buying stuff. And I took everything I had learned on the waterfront on how to buy fish and negotiate with leg breakers and turned it into a purchasing and negotiation career. And then Digitask got bought by Publicis Group, and I was their North American Chief Procurement Officer for about 18 years. 2018, had a Jerry Maguire moment, grabbed the fish, walked out the door, had had enough of the French, even though I'm French, and started a consulting shop with no clients, which I don't recommend. And, and, then, and then along the way, I realized, holy crap, I don't know how to... I need some help with consulting. I need I need to do some benchmarking. I need to be more intelligent. And I started a small little LinkedIn group that then eventually blossomed at the Procurement Foundry. And it actually started with 40 people, shockingly. 40 people, where are you at now? Just under 7,000. All right. Yeah, just under 7,000. That's that hockey stick type growth that I hear about. So tell us about how, why, like what what were you doing that were getting, that was getting people so energized, man? Yeah. So, so when it first started, it was a fight club for procure people. It was, it was a private LinkedIn group that you couldn't find. You couldn't search for. It was called the real deal and you had to be invited in. It was, it was really private. You had to know one of the original 40 people to be invited in. And the deal was very simply, which was if you got invited in by one of the other 40 people and you screwed something up inside of the group, that both you and the person who invited you in were gone. I ran it just like fight club. With three basic rules. One was there's no salespeople allowed in Fight Club because let's be honest, salespeople have already screwed up LinkedIn bad enough. And it's, you know, you get bombarded every day, right? Guys like you, Nick, God bless you. And, and then so rule number one is no, no salespeople in Fight Club or Procurement Foundry. 
Rule number two is we don't publicly endorse any products or services as a community. And rule number three is nobody gets to mask the list of all of the community members that are in procurement foundry. With some minor exceptions, I mean, we now have a monetization plan with uh, partners and things like that. The partners get the lists of people that come to their events, whether that's a webinar or if they go to a conference or sponsor a conference, they get the people that go to the conference. But nobody gets to mask the list of all 7,000 people. And in the, the, the beginning of it, the, the initial, you know, what the heck should we be doing here? It started from my need to be able to be a little bit more intelligent inside of my consulting practice. But at the same time, I also thought to myself, you know, there's setups out there like Gartner, right? I mean, God bless them. They're great. They're the 800 pound gorilla and you pay, I don't know, 50 to $150,000 a year to be a member of Gartner. You call an analyst, that analyst then gives you some information or hangs up the phone and calls six of your peers and then regurgitates that information back to you. And I'm like, why can't I just create a peer-to-peer network where people can go and talk to each other? I mean, I was a chief procurement officer. I had budgets for training and education. I sent people over to conferences and I got feedback back like, you know, hey, what did you learn down at Symposium this year? And they're like, dude, the sushi at Kimonos has never been better. And I'm like, Right. But who did you meet? Because we're going to renegotiate with Microsoft in six months and we've got a $50 million deal. And the answer was always, oh, I, you know, we saw some people, I got a business card and I was like, okay, I need a community where I can go in free of charge, by the way, procurement foundry's free as long as you're a procurement practitioner. And I wanted to build something that went with you no matter where you went, because people, as you know, they go to work for a company, they get a Gartner seat, then they leave, then they don't have a Gartner seat and you're screwed if you don't have a Gartner seat. So what I thought was, all right, I'll create a community where you can actually go in and ask peers any question you want within reason. We have some rules around, you know, what you can talk about. It's all built on Chatham House rules, but, but ultimately it's a big peer network. So why not get the information directly from everybody else? I love it. I love it. The transfer of knowledge between a bunch of subject matter experts and actual operators, I think is really cool. And if you check out any of the events you guys put on, it's very clear you're attracting some of the best in, in the world to come to some of these events. You know, we're obviously very IT heavy. I'd love to hear your perspective of how, how heavy IT has become kind of the front and center for procurement. I feel like in the last five to 10 years, it, it's, it's got to be one, if not this, the second most biggest area where, where you're focusing your time. Yeah, listen, I don't know if it's IT anymore. Traditionally, IT was the guys in the back room that tinkered and gave you your laptop and housed, you know, an on-prem data center and things like that. And, you know, hacked out, I don't know, crystal reports and gave you a report if you were in financial planning and analysis. I think it's technology now as a whole. I think the sector now is more technology than IT. It's evolved beyond that. And I think that now, I think technology touches every single aspect of what happens. Whether that's the IOT, whether that's RFID tags, whether that's, you know, I mean, you can't run a facilities department now without having 20 pieces of software, right? And facilities was like, I just give them the lock and the keys and the doors to the cafeteria, you know? And now it's, you know, you've got, I don't know. I mean, uh, look at what happened with COVID and facilities had to get all that software in place for testing and retesting and things like that. So it's been a massive expansion over the last, I'm going to say six years or so where Effectively, everything has a technology place in it. And because of that, it also has a technology security place in it. And it has become ridiculously challenging for procurement professionals and sourcing professionals to try and keep up with, especially, you know, chief procurement officers 
who are now being, they were shunned in the early days. We were the, we were the spend police. And now we're the, Hey, I need a new idea for this, or I need help with this supplier, or Hey, I put all my eggs in this basket with this startup third party that was in series B and they just collapsed because they're not getting series C. What the hell do I do? So there's a lot for procurement and supply chain people to think about when it comes to technology and evolution of what they're buying now and what they're being asked to do versus where they were five, six years, even two years ago. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, you, you touched on software spend. And before we hit record, you're like, oh, don't even get me started on it. How should procurement leaders be thinking strategically about software spend right now? Because the prices you see, they keep going up. It's harder and harder to manage. Everyone that we talk to knows it's front and center. What's your, what's your list of best practices, if you will? God, list of best practices. We just, I just talked about this yesterday and I was literally on the phone with a guy named Brad Veach, who used to buy more software than anybody in the world up until a few months ago, wrote a book about it. And, and I think that probably some of the best practices that are out there right now are first off, you have to know what you have, right? In small, in small, Hypergrowth organizations, that's pretty easy. I think you have to be able to enable the technology acquisition inside of hypergrowth companies without being an endurance to growth and improvement. That's vital, while at the same time keeping yourself on the rails and not agreeing to just about anything that comes down the line. Your, your job has a portion of it that is now risk management associated with getting to market faster and helping your hypergrowth companies achieve what their VC funds want them to achieve. When you get into larger, more complex organizations, it tends to be a little bit more around asset management and control and communication and relationship management associated with all the different people that need technology and software. Again, it used to be really easy, right? The IT guys were your primary clients when it came to software. Now it's not that case. I mean, look at how much software, there's more MarTech software than there is traditional software. Your chief marketing officer is probably spending more money on software than anybody else in the company at this point in time. Well, it's also massively like, it's evaluated differently, right? They're encouraged to do it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're spending on the right MarTech software, then you're looking at it as a revenue generator, potentially, and not depending on what it is. So like your evaluation criteria of that spend is totally different too, which is a, you know, just another level of nuance. That's, that's 100% accurate. I mean, software was 100% an operating expense up until very recently. And now software is a revenue enabler in very many cases, right? I mean, look at the proliferation of the CRM worlds, right? In the suites of the CRM worlds. I mean, you think Salesforce got this by mistake or HubSpot or any of the others? They're massive engines now that quite candidly manage and contribute to your bottom line every year. And when you think about, okay, there's 17, 18 different modules inside of some of these different things. Yeah, man, it gets really complex. That's the other thing too, that's probably a best practice is trying to keep up with what's in the market and trying to stay ahead of where your supplier population is. Probably the biggest best practice I can give people that are responsible for software management specifically or technology as a whole is attempting to manage the the dialogue, uh, uh, the, the, the narrative, right? There's a lot of salespeople, including Nick, who are trying to bait through your door and talk to somebody on the back end and get around you as a procurement and supply chain professional. What they don't understand is that that particular person is competing for dollars at the CFO level with seven other projects right now. And Nick's talking to some guy who just got, you know, mesmerized by the blinky light that Nick's selling him. And all of a sudden he thinks he's got it. He told Nick he has it. He told Nick how much money he wants to pay for the whole thing. And then he hands it off to a guy like me. And I'm like, 
bro, you're eighth in line this quarter. You know, uh, let's be real. So I think that making sure that you're controlling the narrative, making sure that you have a good relationship with whoever the stakeholder is, and they probably aren't technology focused anymore. It's probably marketing. It's probably HR. It's probably facilities. It's R&D labs, you know, whoever they are. If you're in pharmaceutical or late industrial manufacturing, there's software for robotic lines now and Tesla and Rivian, I'm sure. And then on top of that, what about all the software that's going into the actual cars now? The software that's going in and managing all of your products now. I think there's software in my coffee maker to be God, you know, to be honest with you. So you're, you're thinking about not only do you have to buy the software that runs the company, but you think about the software that has to go into the products that you manufacture to sell. I mean, it's a lot. It's daunting. Yeah. I mean, look, and we're just talking about one category. I mean, the, the role of procurement you touched on a few minutes ago, but I mean, it's, it is massively changing, you know, from what, what was one time kind of take the request, make it, make it better, right? Have like build policy so that we can manage it. But like what we see in, in forward leaning companies on this, like procurement's really a, a strategic business partner to help out with these things. Like do you, do you see is like is a rebranding of the of the role or function in order like what how do you we're shaping out over the next few years because it really is different of course it is procurement people by their nature are horrible at marketing their own value i mean we're horrible at it, right i mean look at our conferences i we made this we run conferences at procurement Foundry. look at the conferences that procurement people go to it's about as boring as the accounting conference i mean Right. I mean, we're make, we might be a step ahead of the accounting conference on snooze alert, but it's still not the sales conference. I mean, you want to learn how to market yourself. Go hang out with a bunch of sales guys for a little while and show how they strut around the office. Right. I mean, that's what you should be doing. And what's interesting about it is from a procurement perspective is procurement and sourcing actually touches everybody. They're the hub in the hub and spoke model. Right. I mean, there isn't an organization that doesn't touch procurement and strategic sourcing at some point in time. And yes, you are 100% correct. The world of procurement and purchase orders and processing and getting POs cut and onboarding suppliers, that's all table stakes now. What you really need is you need a strategic sourcing mindset to be able to help your stakeholders and contribute to the top line benefits and support of enterprise initiatives, you know, revenue growth, margin erosion, Supply diversity inclusion, ESG, which contributes again to client acquisition. I mean, it's interesting to think that the guys in strategic sourcing at Walmart might be working on making sure that 6% of their third party spend is in the Latino community to support the fact that there's 7% revenue coming from the Latino community. That's a corporate initiative. That's nothing that procurement has ever thought of before. Right. And investor relations, right? The ESG stuff goes massively in investor relations, you know, and like there's, there's a lot of considerations. I mean, how do you see this shaking out three, four years from now? Do you think it's still a CPO role? Do you think, you know, the, it just gains influence, but you know, same in title? Like how do, how do you see this shaping out? There's definitely going to be a role for a head of procurement or, or strategic sourcing. Whether that is a chief, it depends. If you're in manufacturing or if you make something, I don't care if you make, you know, a, a, a snicker bar or if you make, you know, a combine harvester, it doesn't really matter. There's going to be somebody responsible for the sourcing and supply chain of all of those things and operating the business model because you have to have a strategy, right? You can't just run it willy nilly. You got to have somebody in charge. 
where I think this whole thing is going. And one of the reasons why I originally left a really good job at the second largest advertising company in the world and to start a consulting firm is because I think that the days of building long-term procurement organizations is coming to an end. I really do. I don't think that you as a chief procurement officer are going to be able to keep up on what is required of you on a long-term basis. And I think that the days of build versus buy are upon us. I think you're not going to see less and less people building out large procurement organizations and moving towards, oh, I don't know, the legal department, right? Look, you got a chief legal counsel. You don't have a chief legal counsel who's got an expert in M&A or an expert in HR and benefits problems or an expert in, I don't know, financial fraud, right? (laughs) He goes to outside counsel for all those things. And I think you're going to see more and more people go to outside counsel for two reasons. One, uh, the talent wars are on. You know what I mean? It's like the clone wars of procurement now. The talent wars are on. There's still a bidding war for good talent, even though now it is under the lens of, you know, in a lot of cases, diversity and inclusion. Ageism is a real thing, which I can't understand for the life of me because it takes 30 years to figure out what you're doing in procurement. But at the same time, I think that it, it, so, so the, so the one first problem is there's not enough talent and the price keeps going up and yeah, okay. COVID shone a light on us for a little while around supply chain, but that's kind of gone now. And there's less and less kids at the supply chain school right now after that. And then secondly, I got to be honest with you. You can't cover all the ground you need to cover. Right. I mean, I mean, listen, there's, you can buy, I mean, when I was, when I was back in my day, I hired a kid, absolute genius at telecommunications and rate card plans for cell phones. He was a genius. I, I stole him from Verizon Wireless. I gave him double what he was making at Verizon Wireless. He saved us reams of money with our 15,000 cell phones in North America, right? But the kid only ever got to see publicist groups spend bucket. Now you've got organizations who can see 10, 20, 100, 200, 600 different companies and get that real-time exposure and turn all of that knowledge into a negotiation strategy on your behalf. You can't play. You can't play at that level. It's it's the, it's going to the craps table and not knowing how to bet. I don't know, Nick. What do you what do you think about that future, Mike? Mike's painting. I think I think you're probably okay with that one. <laughs> yeah, outsource. Call on some experts. Tag us in. Yeah, all, all that stuff. I, I, I listen. I, I'm I agree with you. I think you have to outsource, and I think that that's coming. I again, I think that you know, I don't. And it's, it's like the electricians in the United States. The average age of the electrician in the United States right now is like 62 years old, right? I mean, when it's all over, my electrician is going to get paid more than my lawyer, right? What do you think? The age of average procurement people in the United States is going down? It's not. It's going up. I mean, look at me. I'm an old, you know, grain old. Um, interesting. But I think part of it goes back to what you're talking about around marketing of, of the function, you know, like when you look at the impact to the business and you look at, you know, a dollar saved versus a dollar in top line revenue. Like it, it really does have a, I mean, it has a publicity issue because like some, some of these roles have variable comp tied to all these things. Like there's some, there's some pretty attractive parts to the, to the role, but no one, no one knows about it unless you know somebody. Listen, I've been saying this for years. Okay. Two things. I've said this a hundred. I went to town meeting once and got all pissed off in my hometown. And I said, and because we, we didn't have enough money to fund, I don't know, school sports or something like that. And I was like, I'm going to pay everybody in this town who steps up right now. I'm going to pay them the assessed tax value of their house, right? 
And I think, and nobody stepped forward. Of course not, right? Because everybody's not paying enough money on taxes to the assessment. It's exactly the same problem that procurement people have is they aren't marketing themselves properly, just like we're not getting enough taxes because we're not monitoring uh, assessed tax value. And I'll explain to you why. Okay, so here's the deal. I used to work at a very large advertising company, right? All right. Let's say you landed a $100 million client, okay? If you landed a $100 million client in a, in a creative advertising agency, you're, you're, you're all set, man. You're, you're, your income, your bonuses, you're making bank. I mean, people are dipping you in bronze if you do that, right? Okay, but the reality is, is that most creative advertising agencies work at somewhere around 7 to 11% on their, on their net net margin, right? Okay, so that's $100 million is going to make you 10 or $11 million. If I went out and renegotiated five software packages this year and saved a company $10 million, guess what? 100% of the dollars that I create go to the bottom line. As opposed to, you're going to go out and find a $100 million new client to back up what I did this year, working in the background, in the basement, down the hall to the left with no windows and a closet that nobody likes. I mean, Christ, you sit us next to the tax department, for God's sakes, right? I mean, nobody likes the tax department. Nobody still likes procurement. It's not sexy, but even a receiver to any way you cut it. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's our fault for not marketing ourselves correctly. But I used to walk in a room and go, hey, my procurement team saved us $45 million this year. We work on 10%. That's a $450 million client. Show me anybody in this room who's actually brought down a $450 million client this year. If they thought they're not in the room, they're sitting on a beach somewhere. <laughs> How big is the staff that it takes to manage a $450 million client? I can guarantee you it's bigger than my 12 human beings. No, event budget to do it and, and all the, all the other pieces, right? It's the, the, the profit leverage effect. It's not talked about enough. I'll give you another one, right? Okay. Okay. So you're chief procurement officer. You've got a, G, uh, general ledger, you get a, you get a P&L, you get a staff of 20 people between training, education, payroll, laptops, office. Uh, let's say they're still charging you for office space, even though you're not using it anymore. Your entire P&L for 20 people, I'll give you a multi-global $10 billion shop is probably somewhere in the area of uh, fully loaded with insurance and benefits. 20 people, I'm going to say about 12 million bucks, right? About that. With benefits and software and professional services and training and you know, everything, probably 10 million, 12 million bucks is your P&L, right? If that group saves a hundred million dollars this year off operating expenses, that's 10X. Show me. It's going to be the best IRR in the company. Show me another department that gives you 10X on a return on the investment in the department. Show me one. There isn't one. Doesn't happen. So yes, there is a marketing problem with procurement people. And again, I think it's because, you know, this all comes out of the days and ages of, oh, these guys were in finance and they were sat next to the AP people and we had them kind of look at a little bit of stuff. You know, now everybody wants to know, holy crap, did anybody look at the risk associated with this CISO, right? Who, who even speaks the same language as a chief information security officer? Nobody, right? And you get... Uh, okay, I got to deal with the legal team. I got to worry about the CISO. I got to worry about the stakeholders. I got to worry about guys like Nick who are trying to take people off at dinners and get them to agree to crazy stuff. You know, it's it's not easy out there, you know, being a pimp. I got to be honest. You know, I, I, one thing about CPOs, especially in the enterprise that I've learned, I'm wondering why, 
this is, is man, they're a little skeptical. They're a little defensive. You think he's finick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do it just because they're always getting winding down because we're coming in with a pretty straightforward value prop. We want to help them execute on their roadmap better, right? More efficiently, cost effectively. We're going to do it all for you in partnership. And even then, it's kind of like, nah, this is my job. You know, there's a little pride of ownership there with, with the role that I think is an interesting thing to, to talk about anyway when, when I'm talking to the professionals and in your face. It's kind of hard to take somebody seriously, Nick, when they're trying to sell you software and on their last investor relation call, they said to everybody on the planet Earth that their net margin was 67%, but they can't find 4% to reduce the cost based on my request. And I don't know, maybe you didn't listen to your own investor relation call, but I certainly didn't. At 67% margin, guess what? You're taking me to the woodshed. So enough, stop. Let all those other guys. Yeah, not our money. That's the reason why we're a little skeptical, right? It's like, you know, all right, hey, how about this? Here's here's another one. Remember I told you I used to go to town meeting and say, hey, I'll buy you a property for the assessment sales sales value value. How about this? How about you don't charge me for the software because everybody's told me that your software turns water into wine and you take a net gain share of your software against how much it's going to save me this year. You just told me that your software, if, de- if deployed properly and operates properly, will either save me in operating costs or save me in something, right? Let's take a call center, for example, right? I get a call center and it's uh, antiquated. It's running on an Avaya call system and it's, I don't know, 30 years old, right? And it's designed so that 100% of the call center call content comes in the phone. And I get a call center with 5,000 people in it. And somebody knocks on my door and goes, hey, I got a new call center software. It's 80% robot text, everything that the millennials want, rah, rah, rah. And uh, it's going to reduce your head count in your call center by 50%. It's going to save you $50 million this year. Great. Give me the software for free, and I'll give you 10% of the savings. You know how many people take that opportunity? Zero. Nobody takes you up on that. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't believe in your own software, why the hell should I? We're skeptical people. But just looping back to some of the technology procurement specifically, kind of, I mean, you've got a really interesting thing in procurement foundry, right? I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing real time what people are struggling with and what they're dealing with and what they're challenged with. Can I, what, what sort of trends are you seeing going into next year? I mean, I imagine there's a fair amount around like gen AI and that sort of thing, but what are you seeing specific to technology? Like what are people really wrestling with? They're not wrestling with the new technology. There's a new whiz bang flashy light every year, right? What people are, believe it or not, what people are struggling with is the traditional stuff. Hey, my stakeholder can't tell me how much of this he needs. He's disgusted when I tell him what to show him his actual usage statistics and still thinks he needs to have, you know, 700 licenses of Adobe Creative Cloud when it's only using 350. Nobody can seem to tell me what the growth is, right? Uh, for this year, nobody wants to potentially look at something else and make a change, even though the cost could be 30 to 40% cheaper. So what procurement people are really struggling with is the basics, the fundamentals of, of the, and then, and then on top of that, everybody still struggles with, am I getting taken to the woodshed or not? Right. You know, listen, we don't, inside a procurement foundry, we don't talk specifics and they self police themselves. I've got 850 people inside of the technology sourcing room and they all talk to each other on a regular basis. But we don't go out and go, hey, I've got an XYZ contract and SKU number XYZ is costing $40 for 10,000 seats. Is anybody else seeing something cheaper? That's a no-no. We use this, we use this community as, hey, 
I'm about to negotiate with X, Y, and Z company. Is this the right time for me to do this? Or should I push this off a quarter and leverage the fiscal theoret? You know, or, hey, does anybody know what the current acceptable payment terms are by vendor X? Or what the hell do we do with escrow? Well, you know what scares the hell out of me, honestly, and scares the hell out of a lot of people I'm talking to right now? Is the fact that probably about 75 to 80% of SaaS vendors are not profitable yet and VC funding is drying up. What happens when Series C doesn't show up for that applicant tracking system that you took in a year and a half ago? They still haven't gotten the profitability yet. If you don't have that software somewhere in an escrow account so that you can operate it for the seven months you're going to need to hop, skip, and jump off of that and go to something new, shame on you, man. You weren't paying attention to the tea leaves that said that these guys weren't profitable. Probably spent a lot of time, a lot of time, resources, and money implementing it. You know, and so it's it's the risk. It's the it's the the risk element. I, Kyle, I honestly believe people don't understand how many of their software providers aren't profitable, even at seventy percent margin. You know why? Because there's a lot. Let's be honest. Most innovation, most new stuff comes from cutting edge. Comes from startups or early stages, right? Because the bigger ones are just trying to hold on for dear life and get sold. Right. But the young ones, the early ones, early stage guys coming out of, I don't know, Y Combinator or wherever the heck they're coming out of, you know, they're, they're cutting new ground, man. And it's sexy. I mean, the stakeholders love it. Right. But the reality is, is that software companies don't become profitable probably until what? You have three to five. Right. Hopefully. I mean, Ho- hopefully. 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 There's some pretty big ones that have been unprofitable for sure. a very long. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, hey, man, you know, FYI, uh, you might have signed a seven-year contract or a five-year contract on this software. They might not even be here in five years. Yeah, and it's a lot. A lot of them are around the around the fringes. You know, I mean, it's it's the niche ones, or they're selling to a stakeholder that's that's getting it oftentimes outside of procurement. You know, practices, right? They're out on an island somewhere and they're buying it. I mean, that's you know, those are the specialty ones that are the highest risk too. You know, you talked about more tech, right? I mean, it's 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 full of full of that of. Oh. It's riddled with that. And don't think for a second that just because your software company went out and raised another round of funding, that's a good thing. Companies that are profitable don't need funding. You know what I mean? I get news for you. So, so be real careful about, you know, celebrating all that stuff. So those are the things that I think are as far as technology, social providers in the software space. That's what's keeping them awake at night is, hey, do I need to start thinking about some of these benchmarking solutions? Do I need to start thinking about outsourcing some of my intelligence to guys like you? You know, do I need to start thinking about creating a hybrid model where, yeah, okay, I've got some software technology, you know, category managers, but I'm augmenting them with third-party knowledge and data like you, you know, with you guys, right? Things like that, that I think it's going to go... I don't think it's going to go directly from, hey, I'm building teams to chief legal counsel and a bunch of outsource. You know, that's the word I used earlier in the legal world. Essentially, I mean, it's a Rolodex, right? I mean, it's a, it's a classic kind of have your toolbox, have your Rolodex, have your playbook of partners that you can deliver with. Yeah, I think there's a hybrid model somewhere in between, but I think eventually we get to chief legal counsel and outside counsel. I think that's where it goes. It's going to depend on the business, right? Like you're going to have businesses and, you know, you're, you're direct components like there's going to be some pieces that you are going to want in-house because they're really unique to what you do yeah 100 percent. you're like making that judgment on like okay what are we better off having a partner on and then what do we really want to hold really close to the vest 100 percent. but do you think honestly do you think tesla really cares about their indirect spend that much or do you think that they're willing to carve that off to a third party 
who's got better visibility and more insights into the marketplace than they do. I think I think Nick's been chasing them a little bit. It doesn't seem like they care that much about their indirect spend. Tesla, Tesla, get at us. Yeah, I think Tesla's one of the ones I'm just kind of like, no. I'm just listen. I I I don't want. I I know the guys at Tesla. I'm sorry, bro. I don't mean to use you guys as an example. I mean uh, green lawnmowers, right? I don't care whatever it is. I don't care what you make. I don't care if it's green lawnmowers, automobiles, or Twinkies. I really don't care, right? If you're buying all those things, what you care about is. I mean, I know the guys over at, you know, the, the, the very big donut company. They care about sugar. They care about flour. They care about packaging. They care about all those things that you're supposed to care about. How much do they really care about a CRM tool? You don't sell CRM. You sell donuts, right? So, so yeah, listen, I think that the, I think that the large manufacturers and the people that are in supply chain, whatever your supply chain is, I think that, you know, we've struggled in indirect there for a long, long time. And I think that somebody's going to finally lift that. I mean, look, there's a lot of people that outsource their indirect to third parties completely. The whole thing, they lift upgrade it. Go, here you go. Right. I think the people who have built their thing. Yeah. Okay. But the people with the knowledge are starting to get a little bit older, you know? I mean, and, and I don't know why this is the case, but some people think that hiring a 35 year old kid for 50 to $60,000 a year versus hiring a 60 year old person who's been in the game for 30 years at $125,000 or $150,000 is a better investment. It's a hundred grand. I mean, let's be honest. That 55 year old person who's been in the industry for 30 years is going to save you a hundred grand in their sleep compared to a 35 year old kid. Or he's not going to get burned on something like an auto renewal clause or an escrow account clause or He's not going to double check that click through license on that SAS and go, Hey, listen, this is null and void because this person doesn't have authority to sign on the behalf of this corporation anyway. Yeah. The the gotchas can be very expensive. They get really expensive, man. And you're going to have somebody who's been burnt once or twice. I I don't, I don't like new kids that don't have burn marks on them. I got to be honest. I got to get them some way. You know, but I, I think that the category manager and stuff like that and bring it, bringing them up underneath some, some excellent leadership is, is, is the model. Come to Procurement Foundry, learn from the experts. I made the damn thing so that you can come in here and learn from everybody. We got a mentoring program. I got 30 chief procurement officers that want to mentor young kids. Come in and grab a mentor. There you go. Speaking of that, I guess just wrapping this up, what, what's next for Procurement Foundry? You've kind of built a, built an awesome community. I know you've got big plans for it in the future. Kind of you want to give you, give you a moment, jump up on, jump up on the podium there and tell us, tell us what kind of what's next for it. Yeah, we started off with the monetization model associated. We, you know, we really weren't even sure. It's kind of like a social petri dish. We weren't really sure whether or not we could even monetize it. And then a bunch of guys showed up and said, Hey, we'll throw some money at you to help monetize if you'll help push our brand and our company. And, and so we kind of jumped at that a little bit. Ultimately, I see us going back to the truth that what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a community for procurement and supply chain professionals to help them both personally and professionally develop. The best thing about Procurement Foundry is, is as you move from company to company to company, you're still a member of Procurement Foundry. You're not, oh, I had a Forrester contract here. I had a Gartner contract here. Oh, we had Aberdeen Group here. Or, you know, don't take this the wrong way. We have Progressive and we don't, and we don't. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, okay, well, the community is with you at all times. It might help you find a job. It help, might you find a, find a mentor, but it also might help you negotiate your next software platform. Or, or something along the line. So I think that, that we're going back to our roots of helping professionals. I think that one of the things we're looking at is 
now that we're at 7,000 people and now that we're at, you know, 3,000 companies with probably $3 trillion worth of buying power inside of the community, how do we harness that? And that, that's one of the things we're looking at right now is, okay, you know, if the future is, if the future is buy versus build, how do I provide something that people can buy that harnesses the collective knowledge base of procurement foundry? If that's real-time education on training, if that's, you know, group uh, consortium purchasing, uh, those are the types of things that we're looking at for the future. Well, excited to see where it goes. I mean, certainly something special that you built. You know, in independent market feedback, I like I have clients that are boundary members that like I've had independent, you know, of any of our conversations, and I've asked them, I'm like, hey, what kind of value do you get from it? I mean, it, it's it's delivering on on what you've discussed here. So, price is free, Roddy. It's it's, uh, it's not, that's my favorite one or F word. I think that that's about it for us. You know, great having you on, and that's a wrap. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks. Perfect. Hope you guys enjoyed that. As Kyle mentioned on the front end, just I love the energy for Michael. You know, he, he's he's been there, he's done that, and he brought the heat on today's episode. So, Kyle, first time I've heard a procurement person say, "Let's start looking for out external health." Like, oftentimes, I get the feeling when I'm talking to him. Especially in the sales cycle, when he called it out, salespeople were always trying to sell, right? I do want to, I do want to make it really clear. We, we're not a software company, right? Like we're, we're there, we're there to help them buy technology the right way. We're not there to sell a particular piece of software by any means. Just to clarify for, for anyone that doesn't know who our source of it. But from, from your perspective, have you seen any adoption of that from the CPOs you support? Like, the ones we support and the ones we're engaged with clearly see it, right? But I mean, I would say, look, I, I, it makes, it makes sense for all the reasons he mentioned. I mean, you, they've got an expanding, like rapidly expanding role and responsibility inside the organization. It used to be, you know, this, this function worked on direct spend in, you know, companies that, did a lot of buying. Then they kind of started maybe working on, maybe working on some media, maybe working on some other pieces. They're touching a lot of places now, right? And so they've got this rapidly expanding role and responsibility combined with a rapidly expanding market and vendor landscape. It makes sense that you would use a third party. Obviously, I mean, Josh, hopefully you just put that on loop, right? And just take that and cut it up and put it on loop and shot it from the rooftops. But not obviously, I believe we have a strong place in the market, and I think we've got a lot of tailwinds, you know, to to our own growth, but also to the value we provide. Historically, we have like years ago, you know, I mean, Nick, it's relatively new for us that we started getting as much traction with procurement. Oh, no doubt. Five five years ago, procurement was not wanting to talk to us. We were coming in through finance, or we were coming in through the lead technologists in the organization. Now, when we go talk to procurement and we talk about what we do, they're like, yes, please, someone that knows this stuff and can work with my technologist. I've seen even a shift in category, man. Like those folks used to close the door in our face. And now those categories seem to be getting bigger and harder to manage. And, you know, they have different stakeholders that they're selling back to or like working with. And, and even they are starting to say, yeah, please, resource it. It's a lot. They've got, they've got a, a massive amount to do, right? So it's a, 
it's a whole lot of go get. And, you know, it's a combination of similar to like our kind of what we've, what we've said to technologists for years, like they're, they're working to keep the lights on. They're working to, to do this. How do you be forward looking enough? Right. And like it, it, in procurement, we see a little bit of it the other way. It's like, okay, we'll go run, run and collaborate with the technologists and handle some of the basics that Michael was talking about that need to happen, which can elevate them to work on things that are really strategic to the business and really important. But if you, if you're not doing right, like you get left behind. It's, it's vast majority of companies, at least the ones we work with, the vendors they choose to work with, how they implement technology. Like these things are absolutely competitive differentiators in the market for them. So, you know, I mean, obviously from, from my, from my seat, I, I love the perspective, but I mean, we see it like we see it in, in the market, you know, in how procurement has engaged with us over the last couple of years and that shift. Cool. Well, hopefully you guys got something from that. Check out Procurement Foundry. Check out Michael. They're doing some big things and it's a, it's a really cool community that procurement folks would, you know, obviously you're really sharing best practices with some of the best and brightest in in So we'll be back again shortly with another episode. Thanks for listening to The Wrap, Resourceive as a podcast. For more information about Resourceive and how we are creating value for our clients, find us at resourceive.com or reach out to us directly at therap at resourceive.com.